Once again, we are looking at God-sized questions and having God-sized conversations. So these are the questions that, uh, that you guys all have, questions that you want to answer. And today we are looking at an incredibly broad question. Um, I'm a little overwhelmed by it, but I tried to kind of pare it down as much as I could. Today we are asking the question, how do I read my Bible? How do I read my Bible? Another question uh, related, how do I study the Bible better? Uh, we're talking about questions related to Scripture. Now, that's a little uh, daunting to me. I was wondering, like, how far back do you go? Like, you, like, you open your Bible, you sit down, you, you read it. Um, and it gets, 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 gets more and more complicated from there. Uh, in seminary, we had class after class about how to read the Bible about how to read it correctly, all the, all the theories and interpretations. Um, but we can make things uh, pretty simple. And I hope that kind of as one guiding principle for you is, is kind of this general truth. As Randy alluded to earlier, if you read the Bible correctly, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero. Jesus should always be the hero of the Bible. He should be the hero of every story. He should always be the main focus. And on every single page, we should see Jesus and be reminded of what he has done for us. We should fall in love with him. Now, that's kind of our, our foundational truth. That's how we are called to read the Bible. Uh, we're not going to talk about uh, the foundation for believing that this is the word of God. Here at Research, Church, we, we call this the word of God. We say that it was inspired. The writers who, who wrote it weren't just writing human words. They were written the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're interested in talking about that kind of particular subject more, we had a, a topic a couple, maybe three or four weeks ago, about the, the proof of Christianity. If you want to talk about that with me personally, we can do that. Uh, but we're taking that as a given. That's probably going to set us apart from a lot of, a lot of people and how we interpret the Bible. But uh, the thing that we want to always focus on is Jesus. And so uh, we're going to look at how Jesus kind of is present in every single page of the Bible and how we can get there. So pray with me and we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are not hidden, you are not mysterious, but and, and Father, you are not distracting us. You give us what is most important. You give us Jesus. And you remind us of the salvation that is in you day after day, page after page. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us to, to read your word, not for the burden of doing so, but for the joy of seeing Jesus. Would you give us more Jesus? Would you give us more of your salvation? Would you give us more joy in knowing what you've done for us? And would you give it to us through your word? We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. All right. So we start off by kind of giving a, a basic premise for Defending why, why we should always see Jesus as a hero in every story. And we have a helpful passage related to this. Jesus basically tells us exactly how he wants us to interpret the Bible. And so we're going to look at Luke 24, verses 44 through 47. Luke 24, verses 44 through 47. A very important passage for understanding the Bible. And just to give you a little bit of context here, uh, Jesus just told... Uh, two kind of confused semi-followers about the resurrection, about his death and resurrection, and how that kind of <coughs> sums up the whole Bible. 
Now, they're incredibly confused about all that. Uh, They don't know what's going on. And so Jesus kind of summarizes the whole story of his death and resurrection um, in these words. Luke 24, verses 44 through 47. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. These are the words I spoke to you. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. All right, so how does this help us understand and read the Bible? Well, Jesus, of of his own accord, this is how he reads the Bible. And when he reads it, he sees the death and resurrection in, as he says, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, what we tend to do, sometimes we do with that is we say, okay, so the law has Jesus. There are certain prophecies about Jesus, and the Psalms are about Jesus. Okay, that's not the right right way to read this. Uh, This is the, the Jewish understanding of how they divide the Bible. They say it's made up of three parts. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is the whole Old Testament. That the whole Old Testament is about his death and resurrection. Now the problem is that that's not how everyone understood it. That's not how these two men on the road understood it. That's not how Christians as a whole understand it. And so what needs to happen is he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. That without helping us understand and see, we can miss this whole thing. And we can be reading our Bibles, but we're not understanding it. We're not seeing Jesus as we're supposed to. And what does he say? He says that that contained in it, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Alright, that is the gospel. That is the good news. The fact that Jesus Christ came fully God, the Son of God, came and died for our sins. That he did. He died for our sins. And if your faith was in Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus, then when Jesus died, you died. You and all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt, that person is dead. The sinner is dead. Past, present, and future. The sinner in you is dead. And what have you been given? You've been given the resurrection life of Jesus. You've been given the perfection of Jesus. Last week we saw that that we are so perfect and so pleasing to God in Christ that God can actually rejoice over us. That he delights in us with singing. Like, none of us deserve that. None of us have earned that, but we're not regarded according to what we've done. We're regarding what, what Jesus Christ has done. You are perfect in the eyes of God. You are blameless in the eyes of God. You are holy in the eyes of God. That is unchangeable. That is by faith. That is nothing that you do. And that is the lens by which we read all of Scripture. And so when we, when we come to this word, we shouldn't expect to find anything but the reminder of the, those truths. That yes, we are sinners. 
we are washed perfectly clean by the blood of Jesus. That our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. That we are perfect sons and daughters because of the perfect work of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what we're looking for. And so, like, please don't think that this book is here to condemn you. It's not. And this book isn't here to to lay more burdens on you. It's to set you free and give you joy in that and remind you, as much as you read it, that that is true. That you owe nothing more to God. That all you want to do is rejoice and have joy in the fact that that it's all done. It is finished. This is a book that's about nothing but Jesus. That our salvation is found in nothing but Jesus. And that we can rest and be at peace and be free. A lot of us have trouble seeing it that way. We come to the Word and we don't see it and we, we expect to like, oh, I have a certain understanding of what I should find here. And then we, we often can't find the Gospel and we feel really condemned by it. Or we feel like we're not good enough. We feel like God is scary and wrathful. So I want to help us out. There are certain parts of the Bible that it's really clear, uh, okay, that's about Jesus, like the Gospels. Uh, like the epistles that talk about what it means to for Jesus to have died for us. Those parts are easy. All right, there are other parts that are really hard to see Jesus in. And so we're going to talk about those really hard parts. Uh, you might have more questions about hard parts in the Bible that you can't find Jesus in. Uh, well, it's a time for questions, so uh, let's do that. Um, but let's talk about the hard parts. So first, there's the, the Old Testament parts of the Bible. Uh, where we see this kind of general, more faceless God that just seems terrifying. So in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we see Jesus, and we, we love Jesus, and we delight in Jesus, and then we say, okay, like, well, let's, let's go back, and then we see this, this terrifying God. And we see examples of, of wrath and vengeance and his, his holiness that is beyond understanding, and his righteousness, and he, he can't be touched or seen, and we wonder... Alright, is, is this even the same God? Is this even the same message? Is this the gospel? Where is it? Alright, first of all, uh, Jesus is God. Alright, don't divide those things. So like if the if the Bible's talking about God, like Jesus is Jesus is in there. Don't treat it like the Bible before before the New Testament is just about the Father. No, it's about God. The Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is present there. Jesus is all over it. All right, but what do we do with the fact that this God seems so scary and he seems so wrathful? Now, we could take that and say, well, maybe the gospel needs to be qualified. Maybe the gospel is, is different. Maybe I need to both fear God and, and love him. Maybe I need to feel some kind of guilt and shame, but also, also I'm, I'm kind of free. No. When you see the scary Old Testament God, you need to be reminded that that is the God who delights in you now. Who sings songs over you because he sees you as perfect in Jesus. There's no room for being being scared of this God because all of that fear has been removed. Now you stand perfect before him. The problem is not that the gospel isn't there. It's that we can't believe it. We can't believe that that God... Who he is would be pleased with us. But he is. 
We owe nothing to the scary God of the Old Testament. We stand perfect before Him. We have been washed clean. We are now His children. So when you read about, about God in the Old Testament, we're reminded of like how much the gospel means. Not how terrifying this is. Of how perfect you stand. Alright, but, but let's keep going. So, uh, maybe you come across like scary God who is now pleased with you. Uh, you've also come across the law. The law, the commandments, all of these things that you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. You're going to find them in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus says some scary laws too. What do you do with that? What do you do with those things? I think probably how you respond to the commandments in the Bible is probably your best indicator of of your understanding of Jesus. And where you really stand, not just intellectually, but like really in your understanding of who Jesus is. Alright, so uh, there's one way we can respond negatively to the law. And this is we respond to the law with pride. With pride. Alright, so we, uh, we read our Bible every day. We open it up and we just... Bible, tell me how amazing I am. And we read the law and we say like, oh, like, okay, so I'm supposed to do like the Ten Commandments. And what are we doing in our minds? We're just checking the boxes on each, next to each one. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I, I worship? Yeah, yeah. Did I, no, I didn't do that one. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I've been a good Christian. Thank you, Bible, for reminding me that I am amazing. All right. If that's how you read the law, I want to remind you here and now, you are not the hero. And the law shouldn't remind you that you are the hero. The the law should totally destroy any notion that you could possibly be the hero of the story. You are not the hero of the Bible. And if you're going through the law and like feeling like proud and oh look look how look how well I've done it, you've misunderstood. You've misunderstood. You have misread the Bible. And just so we have a little more clarity, uh, here's some of the, the laws that are a little more clear. Maybe a little more cutting. Uh, Alright, when you are motivated to do anything, you should be single-mindedly motivated by enjoying your salvation in Jesus. That's your reason for doing everything. And your only, your only reason. Because you enjoy and love obedience and just delight in it. Alright, that's the law. Like, who, who is checking that box? Please raise your hand. Like, oh, that's the only thing that's ever motivated me. Like, check. No. Alright, another one. Like, every day you wake up and you're just like, you know what, how can I die to everything that I would want and just be all about God? I just want to pick up my cross and be all about that. Like, no. None of you do that. Another one, like... Love others as yourself. Now what that really means is, like, we're all so self-centered. And we naturally are that. And so when we wake up in the morning, we're like, what do I want to do today? What do I want to eat for breakfast? Like, we, we are totally into ourselves. And what that commandment says is, no, with, with as much fervor as you are into yourself and naturally all about yourself, be all about other people. 
Like, oh, how can I make their day amazing, not my own? That's the law. Right, the whole point of the law, first, is to crush any hope that we could ever be the heroes of the story. That's a correct reading. There's no pride left in the law. Now, how do you know if you're falling into the trap and you're, you're proud when it comes to the law? I think the best test is when someone points out that you might be sinning. And they suggest, like, oh, actually, like, did you know that eating too much food is a sin? And you're like, oh. <laughs> and, uh, and what do they, and what do you, like, now, how does the proud person who thinks they're, they're doing the law, how do they respond? They get angry. Like, how dare you say that I'm sinning? I would know if I'm sinning. I, I don't sin. Oh, I love Jesus. Like, okay, that's not the right response. Your response should be like, oh, like, of the hundreds of thousands of sins that I've done today, which one are you pointing at? Like, which is the one that has, like, particularly offended you? Because I'm sorry. Uh, would you like to talk about, like, the sin in my prayer life or my private life or my thought life, the sin in my emotions or in my motivations? in the way I drive, in the way I eat, in the way I sleep, in the way I, I interact with people, in the way I interact with God. Like, what, what, do you, what sin do you want to talk about? All right, that's the reality of someone who actually has read their Bible, understood it, and seen the law. Like, okay, like, point out a sin, I probably have it. That's someone who has read the law and understands. They know they're not the hero of the story. All right, but just a reminder: like Jesus has checked every box. Jesus alone is the story, is the hero. You don't get to be the hero. Stop trying to be the hero. You don't need to be. All right, others of us, we read the law, and we are totally devastated. Yes, like okay, good, but we stay devastated. And we read the Bible and we think, just see all these things like, I am failing, I'm a horrible Christian, I'm a horrible person, maybe I'm not even a Christian. How could I be doing, doing so horrible at all of these things? Alright. You're still making yourself the hero of the story. You're just a, a failing hero. <laughs> Alright. That's not the goal. Right? You're not to be like the anti-hero of the story. Uh, Jesus gets to be the hero. And so when you see all the checkboxes, like... You should admit, like, no, I can't do it, but Jesus has. And I'm seen in the perfection of Jesus. And according to God, because of, of my faith and nothing else, I am perfect. And I have done these perfectly. Right, what does that mean when we read the law? All right, we breathe a sigh of relief every time we read one of those laws. Oh, you're called to love everyone, like... Thank God for Jesus, because I didn't do that one today. Like, and every single law should be that for us. That all of these laws are perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. That's the gospel lens we should have. Jesus is the hero. He's been the hero in that he's obeyed all of these commandments. It's funny that we are reading the, uh, the running towards Jesus and never looking behind us. I read that today, uh, or uh, a couple days ago. Or during a quiet time, and it was like, that was a devastating reality when Jesus says that. Oh, like, never look back. If you ever look back, you're not fit to follow me. That's devastating. 
But then what does it say? The past, like a paragraph before it says, Jesus set his eyes upon Jerusalem. And he never took his eyes off the cross. Like he was, he was bound to get there and he was going to get there for us. Like Jesus alone set his eyes and never looked back. And we are found in him. There's joy in all of these commandments. All right. Now there's a... We don't stop there. If we stopped there, uh, we would miss the, the even greater joy of the commandments. So you have no guilt, no shame, no obligation to keep these commandments. Jesus already kept them all for you. But now, the commandments turn into something else. They turn into opportunities. Opportunities. And what do they become? Like, so every commandment is now an opportunity to love God. To love God who's, who's already done everything that you need to do. You don't owe him anything, but if you want to love him, here's how to do it. Worship him. Run from idols. Run from the world. Like, if you want to love him, here's how to do it. Or it's an opportunity to love people. And you wonder, like, I want to love people in the name of Jesus. I want to love Jesus by loving people. How do I do it? And what does he say? He says, well, okay, don't gossip. Don't lie. Don't mistreat people. But the motivation isn't to to please God or get right with God. It's because we want to love people in the name of Jesus. These commandments become an opportunity to just have further life and joy in our salvation. To enjoy rewards that he's promised us to, to have purpose and meaning in the kingdom. That's all that's left in the commandments. Is this invitation to enjoy the salvation we've already found. Alright, that's not how we talk about the law. That's not how we give the law to each other. We often give the law in terms of like, well Jesus did all this. You're a big jerk if you don't do it the same. That's how, we, that's how we talk about it, and we just make people feel miserable. But no, like, we encourage each other to pursue greater joy in, in our salvation, and to love Jesus and love God, and, and pursue these things in freedom. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, there's a passage related to this. Uh, 1 John 5, 3 through 5. 1 John 5, 3 through 5, which is uh, an amazing passage, because it seems like a lie. Um, but it's only true if we believe this. So, this is love for God that we keep His commandments. All right. So, how do you love? How do you love God? Keep His commandments. Simple. And His commandments are not burdensome. Now, who believes that? All right. This is only true if you are in Jesus, because His commandments are not commandments anymore. They're they're invitations. They're opportunities for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That by the simple thing of our faith, we have overcome. Jesus didn't open the door to salvation and now we work our way through it. No, he, we have already overcome. The burden is lifted. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We receive this. And the commandments are no longer burdensome. They're this joyful invitation to to worship and enjoy Him. So read the law. And then get excited about what Jesus has done. How He's changed the law for you.
All right, last one. Last one. Now this category uh, is everyone's favorite. It's a category of all the like heroes of the faith. So the men and women of faith. All right, these are the stories where like people call down fire from heaven, and they're they're doing these amazing feats. That they're they're praying when they shouldn't be praying because they're going to get thrown into lion's dens. They're uh, they're taking on the giants. We like these stories. These are probably the, the stories that we'd say, oh no, like those are the ones that are easy to interpret. All right, they're easy to interpret because they're black and white, and we have some like a clear hero of the story. But I think they're the easiest to misinterpret. And so this last category is, uh, what do we do with all those, the heroes of the Bible? First of all, I want to remind you, they're not the heroes. There's one hero in the Bible, that is Jesus. All right, when we look at our heroes, like really look at them, they're not as amazing as we thought they would be. All right, so think of Moses. You're like, oh, he like led people out of slavery and he led them to the promised land. He never made it to the promised land. He was too sinful. <laughs> he messed all that up. He didn't get to go. All right, we think of uh, Elijah calling fire down from heaven. And we're like, yeah. All right. There's also that passage where he's like sitting, whining to God of like, why am I the only one that any like, like that obeys you, God? And God has to say like, you have no idea what's going on. Like, I have tons of other people who are following me. You need to get over yourself. All right, we have Abraham, the father of our faith. Two times, two times he goes and he lies about his wife being his sister because he doesn't have the faith to believe that they won't kill him, even though God sent him to the place. And he's like, oh, like Abraham, full of faith. Like, he has some faith. <laughs> not, not perfect faith. These are not heroes. Peter was a hypocrite who was totally led by fear of man. Paul was a murdering zealot. Like, this is, these are bad guys. All right, they are heroes. They're heroes of the faith because they had faith, not because they, they were heroes in of themselves. They put their faith in Jesus and they were waiting for something better. They were waiting for Jesus Christ, the real hero. So every time we read these stories of these amazing people, like, let them be a pointer to the one hero. Let them point you to the one hero. When David goes to slay Goliath, you're not supposed to say, yeah, you know what? I need to go get out my slingshot and go take on my giant. And it's like, go get him, David. No, like, that's not the point of the story. All right, he's the king that represents Israel. We are the people. He goes and represents us, defeats the giant for us, and then we all inherit salvation. All right, he's a picture of Jesus. He points us to Jesus. Daniel, in the lion's den. All right, he, he prays, and even when he's going to be persecuted for it, like, we should pray more, and we shouldn't fear the lions in our lives. Like, no, that's not first what we're supposed to get out of the story. Let's say, okay, there's one innocent one who put his life in danger to obey God, and he went into the lion's den. Only this time he was eaten by the lions. But you know what? He rose from the dead afterwards, and he gave us the victory. Jesus, like Daniel points to Jesus ultimately. We should be seeing the gospel and all these things, not feeling like, oh, I just, oh, Daniel's such a good Christian, and I'm not. No, Jesus is the only real hero. Rejoice in that.
Amen? Amen. All right. Now this last part. Uh, some practical stuff. Uh, there's a lot more that could be said about this. This is a more difficult topic than just to say Jesus is the hero. Uh, but that'll get you through most of it. If you do that, you won't make total crucial mistakes that will be just discouraging your faith. Um, now, the Bible's hard, but I'm still encouraging you to read it. I'm encouraging you to read it. I'm not mandating you to read it. Because there are no more commandments and burdens for you. All right, there's kind of this like general agreement that if you don't read your Bible enough, you are a bad Christian. You are a bad Christian. And we feel guilty and we feel ashamed when we don't read it enough. Uh, there is no such thing as a bad Christian. That if you're a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus, you are a perfect Christian. You have found the perfection in Jesus. It's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has done. And so, there is no burden, there is no guilt, there is no shame for this, but... I encourage you to read the Bible so that you might have greater joy. And you might have a daily reminder of what Jesus has done for you. You might see each day the laws that he has obeyed for you. The faith that he has had for you. The extent by which God is pleased with you. This God who is, who is far more demanding than we realize. All right, do it for the joy set before you, not for obligation. And to not feel guilty and not feel like a bad Christian. That category is totally dead now. Alright, with that, I recognize for some of you, I'm asking a lot. Because, for some of you, it's not personal that you don't read the Bible. You don't read books. I know that of some of you. And you're proud of it. You're like, I haven't read a book in 10 years. (laughs) Good, cool. Uh, Alright, I recognize that, that reading your Bible is a huge obstacle. And this is not like and this is not an easy book to ease you into reading. But I'm going to say, not because of obligation, but for, for greater joy, put your faith in the fact that if you read it, you'll be blessed. Some of you are too busy, and you say, "I can't read the Bible. I can't add one more thing." Peter says, telling me to add one more thing to my plate, I'm inviting you to enjoy Jesus and enjoy your salvation. And be reminded of what he's done for you. That's not supposed to be a burden. That's supposed to be for your joy. So please have the faith to, to enjoy Jesus and to do it. Uh, some of you will then try this. And you'll have no idea what's going on. And you'll hate your next reading of the Bible. Alright, that's to be expected. It's hard. And you might understand like 20% of it. Alright, this is not the Hunger Games. Alright, people, people read it like, like, oh, like, okay, I'll just read it. And they're like, <laughs> like they're going to read it like a novel. And then they think it's super hard and they have no idea what's going on. Um, at first, you might understand 5%, 10%. You might understand one law, what it means, and know that Jesus saved you from it. That's fair. I'll take that. Maybe you'll see a commandment that you never knew you were supposed to do and you're like, oh, like, I'm going to stop embezzling money from the government. And like, I didn't realize that's what God wants me to do. And like, oh, I love you, God. Like, I didn't realize. So I'm going to start doing that. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that'll happen. Um, that's where like, you're in this for the long haul. And so like, fight for it. 
fight for the things that you enjoy. Fight for joy. Fight for the pleasure of enjoying salvation and knowing Jesus better and finding ways to love him, realizing all the blessings that are in Jesus. Go fall in love with the hero of the story. Amen? Amen. All right, so uh, time for questions. Time for questions. Calla. <laughs> it's kind of a little one. Um, but at the very beginning, you were talking about how we don't need to be scared of God. Right. But I know the Bible says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Right. Um, so. I knew I'd pay for that I, one. Yeah, Calla, you got me. I know, that, <laughs> I know that like fear can be interpreted in a, kind of a huge right. term. Um, so like what... Okay. Can you like balance that out? Yeah, great, great. Uh, so Kel was asking, so if if the gospel says that like we, we can stand before him in, in perfect love, uh, and we shouldn't fear this God of the Old Testament, like we are told to fear sometimes, that we're commanded to do it. Um, that's where this fear, this fear changes. It's not fear from judgment, it's just like I would say it's standing in awe of God. And realizing, as we said, like who he is. But not who he is in that we're like afraid we're going to be destroyed by him. But we realize who he is and what he's done and like how amazing it is that now we can, we can talk to him and we can be with him, stand in his presence and not be destroyed. I think that, that's probably the greater idea of a fear that I'd want us to embrace. Almost looks like a question answer. Watch out. Any other questions? So in general, like I'm trying to read through the minor prophets with Ava, and when we keep seeing Israel getting um, in judgment and then re- lifted up and back and forth, do we think of ourselves as Israel? Is, is that us? Uh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so Amy's, Amy's saying that uh, we're watching Israel kind of go up and down and fail and uh, do we see ourselves as Israel? Um, to some extent, yes and no. So I'd say that in, in the book of Isaiah, we start seeing like that less and less people are truly Israel. Because like there's this, this huge burden of demand on Israel, and they're supposed to obey. And, uh, and it gets pushed down into one person is really Israel. That is a suffering servant. That's Jesus, actually. All right, so there's one person who's really Israel, who is checking all the boxes that Israel's supposed to check. Now, to some extent, then, all of those who put their faith in, in Jesus then become Israel. They become the people of God. And so, I'd say we are the better Israel. Um, so, in some sense, even Israel is not Israel, because they need someone to be Israel for them. Uh, I would also say, Amy, that we're going to make sure we don't confuse the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We have an even better covenant than, than that of Israel that we can't fail. Israel kind of failed to, to maintain their, their kingdom, but our kingdom is secure, so we have something even better. All right. Other questions? Justin? Uh, when reading or studying the Bible, is it to use a commentary? Um, and if so, with all the commentaries out there, how do you know which one is, which ones are good or more importantly, why? Okay. Uh, 
I personally don't think commentaries are very helpful. Uh, just because they tend to get into topics that aren't super relevant to the everyday lives of Christians. Um, that's a big question, Justin. Um, I think probably the extent of what you'd need is something like a study Bible that kind of is explaining things. If you're new to the faith, I think you want more resources to help you. As you mature, you kind of want less and less resources. Unfortunately, it tends to go the other way, that the, the people who are new to the faith are just like jumping in and into Leviticus and totally confused. Uh, and the people who probably do have the maturity to just read their Bible are always looking at commentaries. So uh, I would like it to look the other way, in that like we're using those things as guides and helps as we build up our, our kind of Bible reading skills. Uh, there's so many different commentaries and different books have different good ones. Uh, I probably couldn't speak too much into that. Rob? This request, is it possible the church could put out a couple of suggested uh, reading group Bible programs um, rather than we just Google or something? We have one right here. So we sort of have one right here. Uh, okay. These are, we have, uh, there's kind of, yeah, there's resources in here. Okay. Uh, there's like book studies that are recommended there. Um, there's also some sort of commentaries. They're more like kind of super intense devotionals that um, are by people who are reliable. So uh, this is a, the resource guide, the recommendations. If you pick up that, there's some helpful things in there. Um, in terms of just plans to read the Bible, uh, just start reading if you want. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you're new to the faith or, or kind of new to reading your Bible, I'd start in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, don't start in Leviticus. That happens too many times, and it's real sad. Um, you get to know Jesus, kind of get him in his easiest to get form, and then you can go back to the Old Testament, and you'll, you'll be better at recognizing Jesus when he comes up in, in the heroes of the faith or in, uh, in stories that point to him. Uh, to answer your question, Rob? Yes, Floyd. No, no, sorry. Yeah. I thought that was you, Floyd. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, Bill, go ahead. What do, you, what do you think about the Bible Project on YouTube? Uh, have you seen any of those? I have seen those. I, I, I think they're pretty good. Uh, yeah. I don't good. know what you think about What do I think of the Bible Project? No, they're, they're, they're good. Uh, For people who are totally unconnected or don't have any background. Right, yeah. Uh, so the Bible Project, so these are just like, kind of like well done, kind of artistic videos that walk you through... Um, the reading, like, kind of basic understanding of books or of themes. Yeah, they can be really good. There's so many helpful resources out there that are there to help you. Uh, Bible Project is one. There are study Bibles. There are commentaries. There are other people in the church who are wise resources. Um, you are not alone in this. And if you have trouble, like, please ask questions. Please contact me or, or other people you know who seem to read their Bibles and enjoy it. in there for Bible studies, like there's multiple reach groups that are diving into the Bible and, you know, then you have a group of people to kind of help you, like, what did you think of that? And yeah, absolutely. That's another good way to learn how to reach groups. Yeah, reach groups are great. Come to a reach group, uh, study the Bible together, and, and talk about the Bible, and uh, the men's and women's groups are great for that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Callie, you had another question? Oh, I just, um, another thing to add, 
for those that might want to start but don't know how to start or what to read, that um, me and Justin are reading Bibles that are divided into 365 days. Okay. Right. So they take a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament. So it's not like you're going straight through the Bible. You're getting a little bit of everything, so it kind of mixes it like... It refreshes your mind, so when you are in Leviticus, which we are currently, you can get some relief because it also gives you some Psalms and Proverbs and a little bit of Mark as well. Um, so that has been super helpful for me because it's divided by days. So, like when I, I'm not sure how much to read right. or for how long, right. I can just read the day, and if I want more, then that's fine. But for sure, it helps me like figure out how much. You're, so that's just another tip for anybody that wants to, you know. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. The, the 365 days are, are helpful. There's like, yeah, lots of ways. It helps break it out so it's not just like you pick up your Bible and what, what now what. Um, it's helpful when they balance out some of the easier books with the harder books. Yeah, that's a good resource. Jeff? Just, um, a couple things. The, the one, the, the Version Bible app is incredible and the different ways that they can help you read through it. I, I enjoyed listening to the first time I ever got through the entire Bible was listening to it because I drive so much. Okay, uh, you get the U version yeah, is an audio story. Okay. Yeah. They, they can actually hit the play button and right. you know, listen to it and they have all the different versions and everything. So that was helping me get through. The chronological was, I thought was neat because it goes through the Bible from the beginning to end and puts everything in order. It jumps all over the place. Right. Um, but early in my faith, the men's Bible studies at Glasgow, the, the things I learned there was you have to make sure you're reading it in context. Who wrote it, who they're writing it to, right. what time period it was. Right. A lot of the scriptures were written in farmer, agricultural type, uh, but that's who they were writing to. So you have to understand those specific aspects. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. So don't open the Bible and think like, this is written to me. Like, you are overhearing uh, centuries-old conversations between ancient peoples in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. Uh it's hard. It's hard. Uh, and that's why as we do this in community, it's easier. Don't, don't, go, don't feel like you're on an island and you need to figure all this out. Like We're all here to, to help each other read this, this thing and see Jesus. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, Esther, you finally... Yeah. I, I saw oh, you. I, actually... I know, you were. Um, okay, so in terms of like the scary God, yes. for me, the first thing that comes to mind is like the genocide and Okay. That's a really big, like, gotcha question that people throw in your face. Right. So how do you appeal to, like, the love of Jesus and explain that to men when they ask this question? Okay, yeah. Um, I genuinely don't know. I would say a way too quick of a version, and this is not what I'd give to the person, but how we can understand it, is, like, so Esther is asking about places in the scriptures in the Old Testament where kind of nations are wiped out in the name of the Lord, where the wrath of God comes. What do we do with that? Uh, that's what we all deserve. And that's where we all stand without Jesus. That's where, like, we expect that, oh, look, everyone should get Jesus. Like, no, a lot of people didn't. And it's amazing that we can tell people about Jesus and that we have received him. Like, we all stand under judgment. And in the Old Testament, when we see that, we see what, what we rightfully deserve and what Jesus endured for us. Like, it points back to the gospel. It's a, it's a sobering reminder of what was necessary to save us and what we were saved, uh, saved from. 
Uh, that's a start answer. Uh, that probably wouldn't be the most winsome answer to someone who doesn't know Jesus. But that's kind of how we start to, to think about it. Any other questions? All right, let's pray.